Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Living It Up podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. This is a Sunday edition, November 6th, coming to you on a sad, sad day for us under what I consider the brutality that is daylight savings time. We have been robbed of a precious hour of afternoon sunlight. But on the PJ Tour, this didn't stop Russell Henley from cruising to victory at the Mayakoba. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction, the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. You know you need some gear to better manage the elements, so head to zerorestriction.com. Use the code LIVINGITUP30 for a very generous 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I'm joined by George and also PGA Tour veteran Billy Hurley III. Let's start with you, Billy. You've played Mayakoba. You've played with Russell Henley. He looked very locked in today. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the course and and Russell in general. Mayakoba is a great place. I mean, it's so much fun to go to. I mean, I miss it dearly having not played for a couple of years. It's always was a, a fun family spot to to be at. Uh, the golf course is is fun and challenging all at the same time. Um, you know, not surprising to see Russell win by uh, four there. He's kind of a, a streaky player who just gets on runs. And and there's some times when he just can make birdie after birdie after birdie, hit it on a string, hit it on a string, hit it on a string. And 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 so, you know, he obviously had a commanding lead going into Sunday and and kind of was able to hold that together and 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 win again for the fourth time on tour. So good, good, good to see him back in the winner's circle. Um Mayakoba is a good fit for him really. So it kind of makes sense. It's a, it, you know, drive it straight. You don't have to drive it super far. He, he, you know, he's not one of the longer guys out there. I mean, he certainly still hits it, you know, 285, 290, but that's not long in today's professional game. And so Mayakoba is not one of the longer courses on tour, but one of the straighter ones in a, in a sense of, um, if you don't hit it straight, the penalty is pretty severe. Mangroves are lurking on every side of nearly every fairway to to gobble up a golf ball. And yeah, they so, showed some, they showed some yeah. overhead views there that looked uh, looked like carved out of the jungle. Each each of those fairways uh, and sort of just like the whole complex looked like if you were offline, you were off the planet. Yeah, there's there's a significant amount of of lateral hazards and 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 retee capabilities there with the with the mangroves it is it is carved out of the jungle i think that's why it looks like that and um but it's right there on the beach too you know you, you come to come to 15 there and, and and you're on the beach and it's it's a it's a, a windy windy hole on on 15 trying to you know it's only 160 yards or so but i've hit five iron you know in there just because you know it's um can be a crazy wind there and then and then 16's a, a really really hard hole really good hole um i think it's converted par five i think the you know normal daily play plays as a par five we play as a par four and uh you know it's normally a, a longer iron in and, and probably the hardest tee shot on the golf course 16 and then they moved 17 up and and got you know some drivable par four action i think yesterday and almost had an ace joel damon one hopped it out of the cup or something or off the flagstick to a couple inches there um and then you know 18 is, is is a good finishing hole and it's funny because they you know we play it in the fall now and so it's more the rainy season in mexico and 
So the ball doesn't go very far and and it's really wet, you know, no roll, a lot, a lot of lift clean in place over the years there, even even had many rounds where, you know, we were playing multiple holes and restarts because of, of rainstorms pulling us off the course. And um, funny story, I actually got caught in a, a rainstorm out there where like no one had an umbrella because it was just not supposed to rain that day. And so, you know, uh, normally, you know, kind of always prepared didn't didn't have an umbrella we were able to you know huddle under the mangroves for for a minute and then had to you know keep playing because play wasn't suspended but then we were able to find some umbrellas out of the hotel lobby as we went near one of the front uh front doors of one of the hotels on property and then we were drying off grips with uh with the spare pair of socks that i keep in my in, in my golf bag just you know you never know when you're gonna need another pair of socks so so i had a pair of socks but i didn't have an umbrella and so we we're drying grips off with the with socks there uh, one year but um you know so, used to be played in the in the spring and it was a much firmer golf course got a lot more run out and played played even shorter uh th than it does now but <clears throat> russell great player streaky player like i said so i wouldn't i would expect him to you know have another top finish here in the fall should he should he decide to keep playing and and then you know he's had success in in hawaii so it would be it would be good for him to kick off the year starting up back up in january i don't want to take it away from russell but like today on on 15 and a four net three birdied 16 birdied 17 got hot What's it like for someone who is like you, like as normal players, we can get hot for five holes, maybe just have a round, but to get like with what Russell, where he just goes deep for 72 holes, like what is that process like? Cause I mean, obviously you, you played the first day, you're feeling good. And then all of a sudden you go the second day and like still feeling good, obviously. <clears throat> so then how, from a pro's perspective, like when is it when you're like, oh, actually, I think this is going to happen. Like we got this this weekend. Like when, when do pros recognize like, oh, we're dialed. Like this is just all happening. Often and never all at the same time, I think. Right. Cause you, cause you're, you're, you're both always one swing away from a hot streak and one swing from an ending. And, and so it's it's more of just like you're trying to keep the pedal down so hard when you have it and you just i mean sometimes when you have it it's more pressure than when you're kind of just even not having it trying to win a golf tournament that's that's different type of pressure but but even when you just have it and you keep hitting it to 15 feet and you're making putts and you're pouring them in the middle it's like everyone gets that much more like nervous to me because it's like I've, I've got to do it again. I've got to do it again. I've got to do it again. Um, you know, which in one way to me makes Cam Smith even that much more impressive, just how many putts he hits right in the middle of the hole. And, and Russell has the ability to do that same kind of thing, you know, is, is he can get on streaks with the, with the putter. I think that's, you know, one of maybe the <clears throat> knocks on his game that you might be able to have is that he's a, is a streaky putter. He's not consistent with the flat stick. So, um, but, but when you get on those hot streaks, it's just kind of the hole looks like, you know, it, it looks bigger in, in one way, uh, the lines look clearer and crisper in another way for me, it's always was like, I just want to keep it going. So it's that much more like 
focused in on on keeping it going. I, I remember I remember one time when I when I lost it. I was I had it, you know, through 27 holes many years ago at Deutsche Bank, I think it was, and and I hit a putt on the 10th hole that the whole time I set up to it, it was about a 15 footer. The whole time I set up to it, I knew I was aimed, you know, a millimeter too high. The whole time I knew it. And I hit the putt anyway, and it grazes the left edge and it was gone. Just like that. I mean, really? I missed the next putt. I plugged it in a bunker after that. I, you know, it just the whole thing went downhill. So it's, Is that it, it's like that really little crazy. bit of that little bit of like self-doubt starts to creep into either yeah. like you said, like your alignment or just like the feel. And then, and then after that, it's like, it, uh, it's gone. That fleeting it, it's feeling. Gone, is and, the, and then you have the one bad thing happen. Like, you know, so all right, you miss a putt on the next hole, but then the ball plugs in the bunker on the par three. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then all of a sudden you have a six footer to make the cut when you were leading the golf tournament after 27 holes. It was, that was, that was, that was a fun afternoon but that's fascinating because like you said like you you stood on the putt you're like "Ah, i know i'm high i know i'm high and you missed high so you knew you saw it right you hit it right you did everything right exactly as you knew and you're like all right i knew i did that wrong and but like that still threw you like that's fascinating yeah well you feel like a bonehead because you knew it but I mean, and like, you still you knew did it. it. So, like, why would you do it? If you knew right, it, why would you do it? The only thing was an execution error, was a decision error, not an execution error. Correct. Correct. And then, like, that still was like the wobble. And, like, it was just, you couldn't get that wobble back. Like, that's, I mean, this is why golf is such a fascinating sport because, I mean, you were feeling it, rolling it, and even you knew it and felt it. And you sent a bad roll that you knew was a bad roll. And you're like, yep, that was a bad roll. Knew it. But then that was the wobble. Like that's yeah, amazing. yeah. Like, like like you said, it was actually a perfect putt. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, I didn't miss hit the putt. I hit the putt perfectly. You know, I, had I miss hit it, I might have made it. We might, you know, might have won another golf tournament along the way. That's fascinating. So I was looking back through Russell Henley's career. He's got quite a decorated career, right? Deco- decorated collegian, won the Haskins Award for, for the top collegiate player in 2010. Played in the Walker Cup, played the Palmer Cup. He actually won a corn fairy event actually on on the University of Georgia's home course. So maybe not a not that big of a surprise that he would play well there, but won a corn fairy tour event as an amateur back in 2011. This is his fourth PGA tour victory. A guy that won uh kind of three times in a four-year span. You mentioned Sony Billy in 2013, 2014 at Honda. In fact, you noted that uh you may have finished one shot out of the playoff that that, that year. So uh he was in big playoff and came out of that one as the victor and then 2016 at Houston, which which uh, is a different course now, but maybe he's got some good vibes rolling in the next week, knowing that that's a, an event that he's won in the past. In the past, but his his career is an interesting one because he's a guy that is consistently there, right? Ten straight consecutive FedEx Cup playoffs that he's made, 21 million in career earnings, but but a guy that like he's consistently to me middle of the road, meaning like. He's not going to threaten, you know, winning a tour championship. He doesn't seem to shine in major championships. He's had a couple top 20s, but no top 10s in majors. So it's sort of like he's like a consistent, uh, I, I'd never want to say journeyman, like middle of the road, like very classy, very solid player. Like I'm curious, who would, who could we comp him for? He's still a relatively young guy. He's got a Hudson lot of years. Swafford, years. His like, like, aren't they interchangeable? I mean, <laughs> like it's just, or Russell Henley. I mean, there's just so many, like you just pick. 
Well, yeah, there's these UGA and Sea Island guys. There's the, you know, the Harris Englishes and the Hudson Swaffords and there we go. Harris people, English. That's yeah. What but I think like people have talked about like, could he be a guy, you know, we talked about other guys that that have been at it a long, long time. You know, we talked about like Matt Kuchers, you know, guys that have just done it for for decades. Uh I, I think about like uh Charles Howell the third, like he's gonna scratch off some victories, just gonna be sort of like an ATM, he's gonna make a few million dollars each year. Uh, just by playing really, really solid golf. Yeah, Cooch and and Chucky Three Sticks are the two that come to mind for me, Brian, for sure. As far as you know, comparing Russell Henley to, obviously, you know, they've been at it uh, longer than than Russell, and you know, now Russell has more wins than than Charlie does, with Charles only having three and no more now that he's playing on this other tour. We talk a little bit about, and but but Cooch is been around for you know probably seven years longer than russell eight years longer than russell and has has nine wins right or something like that so i think that uh you know and, and cooch has the the players but but not a major and so anyway just like you said just kind of consistently there um not that flashy or or, or whatever you know cooch has got the Ryder cups and the president's cups that, that henley has none of to date so you know, can he springboard some of this, especially a early win in the fall in a Ryder Cup year to, you know, really springboard to to get himself maybe in, in the mix for that? I, I, you have to imagine that's on his goals, um, been on his goals for a while. And if it's if it wasn't to start the year, it certainly just became one. A guy who has that career, who's like, I mean, wildly successful at golf, accomplished, you know, wealth, everything else. Is that someone that sits there and thinks, all right, like I'm going to pick off a major or is this someone who sits there and is like, cool. I know for sure. I'm going to be somewhere between two and 7 million a year for the next 12 years. That's a tough one to answer because I think it varies so much, you know, personality to personality. Um, I don't think anybody knows they're going to be two to seven million a year. Uh, it, it's just that's how hard the game is. Um, you know, somebody who's not in the top 10 in the world kind of thing just just doesn't know that. Right. You, you're, um, you know, this is what six years since Russell's last win um you know nothing extraordinary of a of a FedEx cup you know finish uh, in, in the last couple of years so i'm sure there were times in the last couple of years where russell didn't know if he was going to keep his card you know midway through the year he'd have to go back and look through the whole annuals to figure out where that was but but just 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 on balance i I'd, I'd say somewhere he was like kind of like man we might be done after this year if I don't play well in the in the second half of of the summer or or whatever. So I mean, I think you take things when they come and they obviously change your goals as they come. And so I think now with the success he had, you know, leading Tory Pines a couple of years ago in the US Open and and now like I said getting an early win in the fall, it it changes, you know, you're you're back in the Masters and you know, probably knocking on the top 50 in the world maybe um to get to get back in the in in the US Open you know exempt wise so 
it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of see where that where that springboards him too. And and it certainly will change his goals for the year, you know, as far as what what's now possible. Yeah, and it's interesting, Billy, that you noted sort of like a guy thinking about getting his card. That was something during the broadcast that I thought was interesting. You know, most of the back nine, it seemed like Russell had this in hand and it was who's going to finish second. And they were actually making a point to underscore that, you know, the, the FedEx Cup playoff system has changed this year. And now it's going to be only the top 70 guys that make it to the first playoff event. And the other guys are going to be playing in this sort of new fall series that we'll, we'll see what the details are of that. But it but it did underscore that maybe to your point, Billy, like a guy that might think, uh, you know, and, and I'll use the example of maybe a guy gets like a couple top tens under his belt and starts to think like, OK, I've got security. So now I can play with house money. You don't have that security until much nearer to the end of the season these days, like even a win. If you have a win and don't have a whole lot else going on, theoretically, you could drop you know, mathematically that might be challenging, but you could drop outside of the, uh, of the top 70, even with a win, if that's, if that's really like some of your only top finishes that year. Yeah. It's certainly mathematically possible to win and not be in the top 70. That's, that's certainly true. Um, to your point, you know, Brian Harmon finished second, another Georgia guy who, who doesn't look anything like Russell Henley or Hudson Swafford or Harris English, but another Georgia guy in the, in the mix there. And they were all probably loved the um, football score from yesterday, but the, you know, he, he finishing, you know, second that normally would lock up your card. I mean, like not officially by math, but, but kind of like, okay, you know, a a solo second is, is kind of like, or, or, you know, tied with two people. Second is, is that many FedEx cup points It's 300 FedEx cup points for a solo second you know, it's normally around 400 or, or just under 400 to, to kind of keep your card at 125. So theoretically, you don't have to play that great for the rest of the year with a with a second place to to finish, you know, 115 or something and, and, and keep your card and move on and continue to your point now to, to make the playoffs and kind of really compete for, you know, for the FedEx Cup, you, you've got to start at, you know, 70th to get into that. So it changes the numbers a lot. It changes, you know, how how much those top events matter and and how much, you know, maximizing your good weeks matters. They always have in golf, but it, but it changes it even more. So uh, speaking of sort of, you know, guys and fighting for status and things of that nature, the other thing going on uh, in the world of competitive professional golf these days is the final stage of the Corn Ferry Tours Q School. It wraps up tomorrow, actually, a Monday finish uh, for the fourth round. Uh, it's an interesting one because you're not fighting for a PGA tour card. You're fighting for the number of starts that you're going to get on the corn Ferry tour and sort of how you finish, you know, provides your, your ranking and, and thus, thus, you know, how many starts you're going to sort of be guaranteed to get on the corn Ferry tour. Suffice to say, you know, hashtag play better and you're going to get more starts for these guys. The one super notable thing that came out, there was a guy uh, that made a 13 in the second round. He's still hanging around even par so he can go out and shoot a good round and, and increase his number or, you know, better his number quite a bit to be as exempt as possible. So, Billy, I, I will turn it to you. Your your biggest number that you had to put, that you had to pencil into the scorecard. And what, what would be the what would be the story for this? Uh, did it reach double digits? Uh, you are you're racking your brain right now. Did you join Club uh, Club Ocho, Club Nueve, Club DS? What, what, what club are we in? Now? Definitely have made an eight. I don't think I've gotten to double digits. I'm trying to find a nine. 
Huh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Thankfully, you know, thankfully, you know, memory of a goldfish, right? So, uh, you know, remember only the good shots, you know, don't remember any of the bad shots, uh, something like that. But I don't, but I don't have a memorable double digit one that jumps out at me. Um, somebody will fact check me and, and send it to us, I'm sure. But yeah, we're going to need Justin Ray on this immediately. He's going to show us that you made a 12 somewhere. It, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's possible. It's that, possible. That was my question. Cause like you, is it kind of like, Hey man, I remember the good days and the bad days are just gone. Or like, how much can you recall and do like, I, I mean, you're racking your brain, you're thinking. So like, you know, as a, we've all been very high level athletes in our lives. You're the highest level of all three of us, but like the sting, the stingers, they last. Like, so I was just curious how, how much you can pull back from the bad days. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think in some ways, not as much as I could have five years ago kind, kind, kind of thing, um, which is, which I think is probably good. And, but does that I'm speak? Just, to I'm just trying to think one of, one of the things that I really well. prided myself for a long time. And I think I finally did unfortunately do it a couple of years ago, but I had never shot 80 as a professional. And, and so I don't think that, so I think that probably precludes me from having a double digit number because I just don't think you can, like have a double digit and keep it under 80. That'd be pretty darn good. This guy I mean, shot, this guy had a 13 and shot 74. He paired that 13. It was the only uh, over par hole that he had. Four yeah, birds, see, see, now, that's, that's the stuff I just don't get. Right. Like, so, so, you know, when I made big numbers, they're like, because I had a, you know, bad day, like the whole thing was bad. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, I don't know how you, how you make a 13 amidst, you know, four birdies and an Eagle or whatever. I mean, like you actually have it kind of going. Well, that's always, that's always, yeah, that's always the funny one, George, to your point. Like you get interviewed, they're like, tell me about this 13. You're like, well, I, I missed the putt for 12. Yeah. Well, I can tell you. So in our, in our, our club stroke play this year, had a bumpy front nine settled way down on the back nine on day one. And I was, I think I was like one over on the back nine. I was like, all right, we've settled down. We're good. Show up for day two. So this is hole 19. Birdie that. I mean, a big slinger putt, probably 35 feet. Dunked it. And we are feeling vibes. We get this tee shot. And I know I can miss this tee shot a million miles left. It's no problem to miss it a million miles left. Apparently a million and one miles, that's a problem. So then we're three off the tee. We find that ball. We put that ball in the creek. So now we're five to the green. But we sent it long. And then we kind of hit that one back. The green runs back to front, so it runs well past. And you record a 10 after an opening birdie. And from there, you're chasing. So like these scores can happen and do they happen to the best of us? I am curious, George, who's we in this, in the, in this soliloquy here? Well, like, you know, is this kind of like the, it's 100% you know, you know, I was five under and then, and then my caddy gave me a bad number and we oh, made no, a no, 10. No. Wait, listen, is this are, like, we're a very blue collar club. There are no caddies. This was a hundred percent internal decision errors and execution errors combined which they really do magnify each other that way. It, it's a remarkable event when it comes together in just pure harmony. 
and it was like the Tomonero Bridge. Like it just kept getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. You can't do a lot right to make a ten. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, they they always have a good story. I think in uh, I I think back to our time in college, and we would have I think we would say you were in the club, right? You were you were in club uh, club Ocho, club club Nueve. If you you made these big numbers, and they always had a, a very good story around them. Um, you know, another guy, you mentioned blue collar guys. There's a blue collar guy that is, is really trying to find his way by, by suing everyone on the planet. Uh, Patrick Reed has added even more folks to his lawsuit. I think he just followed another lawsuit. I think he's suing more people, even, even Fox sports, which I find to be incredibly head scratching because he, he, he's on the live tour. They are, you know, Greg Norman is actively negotiating a, a TV deal, which Fox sports has been heavily rumored to be in the negotiating table this one george i mean we we've we've thrown our hands up at this one and just you know cried uncle like what do you make of this latest round of defamation lawsuits this is this is one of two things and neither one are good um one like he's getting very bad advice and listening to it or two he is just crazy like there's no good good situation here the things he's chasing, and I'm not going to put people to bed with like the law on defamation and public figures is pretty well settled. Like he does not have really a leg to stand on. And so for him or this Larry Kleiman to be chasing it is, it makes zero sense. And it, it comes back to the thing again we talked about, like, but what are the majors going to do? And what's this? And what's this? And what's this? All the majors, I mean, he's got exemptions, I guess, that will carry. But, like, the one that can just kind of do whatever they want, like, I just got to imagine Augusta just doesn't want this dude back. I can't imagine they liked him winning in the first place. But, like, with this going on and he's just chasing these weird things. I mean, this is Don Quixote chasing windmills at this point. I just can't think they are – comfortable with this guy being on property maybe i'm wrong but like i i feel bad for it like he is and again i, I say i feel bad for him he he is again like kind of like in the brooks kepka like you are not a sympathetic character kind of guy but there are things going on here where i feel like there are decisions being made that don't make a lot of sense and i hope I guess I hope because he was such a great Ryder Cup guy and he he is a good golfer. He has like an amazing short game. Like there's I assume there's good in there, but man, I feel like there's a lot on the sideshow and I don't know what to make of it, but it's it's not good in any regard. Yeah, it, it's been a head scratcher from the beginning because I agree with your point. Everything that I've read, I've heard from you and others is that like these things are all dead on arrival when you think about like the, the actual law behind it. And so it made me think like, there's gotta be an ulterior motive to like either try to shut people up, you know, sort of like silence people who, who he, he doesn't like the, the criticism from. But then if I'm the live tour, when do they push back and say like, Hey man, like while, while you're not naming us as a part of these, you know, lawsuits with you, we, you are a reflection of us. And so like, what the hell are you doing, man? Yeah, th that's a good point. I mean, I they've been so tight on media and so tight on who can talk and who they can talk to and everything else that it is curious. 
I mean, maybe it's baffling. Maybe he negotiated that into his contract. <laughs> I can do By whatever way, I want. I've I've got some grudges. I wish to air them, and you can't stop me. And they're like, "All right, fine." <laughs> like, yeah. Well, Tiger said no, so you're up. All right, whatever. We'll we'll agree. I I don't know, but it's it's not good. Yeah, you mentioned being tight-lipped. There, there's been a little squeakiness, a little bit. Uh, Fultz, one of the announcers, you know, went on a podcast, talked a little bit about the team structure and sort of thinking about next year. He had some interesting comments about the teams. You know, this past year, uh, any of the team money was just split four ways, right? The players got, you know, one quarter of all the, the team winnings. You know, next year, they're thinking about, you know, the team ownership structure will be different. You know, theoretically, they're going to sell some of these teams to owners, uh, player owners like the captains, if you will, are going to have maybe a different ownership structure or sort of percentage take from a from a team title. And there's also this idea that he threw out there of like team expenses. So there might even be like, you know, teams that based on like what they wear or how they travel or, you know, sort of the entourages that they 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 are with, like those might be sort of team expenses that they incur. And then as they win, they're sort of like recouping some of the funds of, of team expenses. I thought these were interesting, coupled with there was some news around Taylor Gooch coming off of the Four Aces team with Dustin Johnson and moving to another squad, Peter Uline coming coming on to the Four Aces. So there's some, what I think is like rebalancing across these teams happening, you know, potentially to make them a little bit more competitive across the board and, and floated to potential, you know, team owners or folks that are going to come in and get stakes in these, these teams. I'm curious, what do you guys make of, and again, it hasn't been heavily laid out or sort of detailed, but what do you think of these like different team structures for next year? Like how, how do you guys think about them? It's still murky, which is frustrating. I'd like to see it be a little more clear. Um, there was a, a, a Twitter rumor today that came out that would indicate that there might be, I guess a super team that has come together that will compete. Um, I think because it's been so murky and things are so poorly reported i don't want to name names and like drag people into it um but i i think they have to get the teams closer like or at least something more competitive because the four aces kind of ran away with it like they definitely were a a team that got put together and they succeeded and so if they can do that great as far as all the expenses and everything else i i mean i i don't know how to make heads or tails of of how the economics are going to work of that. It, it makes sense that if this organization is trying to make money on this, they are going to help try to figure out how those costs get defrayed. Sponsors do that, everything else. So I, I think we'll wait and see. Everything's still, like this has been my gripe from the get-go. Things just seem a little cloudy. Um, I, I say that knowing that like Cam Young, who said like, man, I loved what I saw, but it's just not for me now. Tells me like, there's something in there that makes sense, but without points, it's still whatever. But anyways, uh, I, I'll open it to the floor for comments on where everyone else thinks might be. Well, the team thing is certainly what they're trying to drive towards, you know, it's always been kind of a la formula one has been their been their model and sell some stake in the teams. I, I think from, you know, what Fultz was talking about and, and, and what their, uh, their COO talked about lives COO talked about in, in Miami is, is changing some of the way the, the teams operate in the sense that, 
this year Liv had paid all plane tickets, caddies, coaches, you know, girlfriends, wives, etc. to two tournaments. And next year the teams are going to pay those. So there's going to be some sort of team budget kind of allocated. Now we can, you know, we can talk about where the team budget comes from. Is that just a way of live kind of moving money around to make it look like they're actually making money at this by, you know, putting money in different buckets that they were going to spend anyway and, 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 and whatever, but they're, they're going to have some different accounting system whereby the teams are going to be responsible for their own expenses, their own costs of trainers, their own cost of physios, um, you know, caddies, plane tickets, I assume hotel rooms, you know, all that kind of stuff lumped in kind of into a team budget. Just, just like if you were the, you know, Minnesota Vikings coming in to thump the Washington Commanders, you get on the team jet and the team pays the hotel room and the team pays for meals and the team pays for, you know, all that stuff. So it's it's kind of the 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 model of of what is a team sport, right? Is that the team pays the team's expenses. So I think that's where they're kind of going with that there's certainly, you know, a case to be made that they're just shuffling money around to make their bottom line look better at one place when they're just spending the same amount or even more. And, but they're putting it in different buckets to, you know, make it look better on, on paper, so to speak. And then the way I understand the investment share is that the captains are going to own one quarter of the team, 25%. And then they're going to, you know, look to sell to investors 75%. And then who knows how the ownership share of that, you know, gets, gets shooken out. Can those be different across 12 teams as far as what the revenue share is, or they have to be a standard agreement between the the players and the the 75% ownership or, you know, the other three players, what do they get? Are they not even, you know, playing for any of the team money now all of a sudden, or are they, you know, cut out of that portion of the game? And in which case, you know, again, like all this stuff kind of, it's just going to be really interesting, but, but murky is the best word we've got for it at this point. Yeah. I, I think it is one of those things where I've often said, and, 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 and people will often make these comments like a, a Jordan Spieth wins and he talks about like we, and he talks about the team. And certainly when you have a top finish or when you have a win, you're, you're paying out your team, right? There's Billy, you could probably tell us there's some standard and maybe not so standard agreements across coaches and physios and trainers and what have you. You could argue like the team way of doing that, like there could be some economies there to to think about like, oh, well, if we all have like one physio that works with our team or we have like one chef that works with our team, that might be an interesting model to consider. Um, but but it's all very murky right now. We can pivot to something else that's uh, kind of murky-ish, but it's starting to take a little bit of shape. And this is the uh, tomorrow venture, Tiger, uh, t- Tuesday night or sorry, Monday Monday night golf league that is that is coming up simulator golf on Monday evenings uh, starting in 2024. Uh, tomorrow is capital T M R W, so it's a combination of Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy's initials, but pronounced tomorrow, which is a cheeky way of of taking out all the vowels and seeming, I guess, uh, appealing to millennials and, and Gen Xers, Gen Zs. Um, you know, they, there's a little bit known about it that there's going to be 15 of these like regular season events. There's going to be a rotating, you know, cast of characters, six teams, three players each, probably like one versus one in, in certain times. But what they announced this week was a, a huge list, like a very, very long list of celebrities, athletes, entertainers, musicians, other, you know, venture capitalists, high power investors, you know, you know, for me, and, and I'd be curious to get your guys thoughts on it. 
it has all the makings to me of something that has a ton of high profile folks, but it's still short on to me, like the details that make this not holy moly or, you know, something that is, that is, you know, that you probably could have done on a shoestring budget on, on Twitch or something like that. I don't know. It, it has interesting vibes to me. Like I, I threw out on Twitter, it has like Quibi vibes. Quibi, if, if many of you remember, was this can't miss video product uh, that emerged sadly, like right at the beginning of the pandemic and shut down about, you know, a week into its existence. I'm saying can't, can't miss, but as soon as you thought half a second, like this makes no sense. Um, <clears throat> and I, I'm actually in the parlance of the courts. I'll reserve my time. I'll let uh, Councillor Hurley go forward, and then I will comment afterwards. Well, my first thought, guys, is that when you're playing simulator golf, you know, you don't need to worry about the elements. But when you're playing real golf, you need to worry about the elements, and that's where zero restriction comes in. They make the best waterproof jacket on the market. Uh, your golf jacket can be a competitive advantage. Head over to zerorestriction.com. Use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your order. They have a full line of performance gear so that no matter what nature throws your way, you can perform your best. So these guys doing this tomorrow thing, they don't need to worry about any of that. Like there's, you know, it's a simulator. You just, you know, you just hit it into a screen and it like shows up. I want to know if they're going to be boosted. You know, I want to know if there's going to be spin taken off the ball on these simulator shots. I want to know, you know, who's who's regulating this stuff? Like, I mean, you know, mats are not the same as grass. Is it real golf? I, I mean, like this is these are these are the things that I want to know is 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 how who's who's regulating the simulator algorithm. So, all right, I'm. Let me stretch a minute here. This is the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard of in my entire life. Like the stadium golf thing, I could maybe see. Like we, the, if they brought the tours in, like they, if they're playing wherever and they're doing their thing and they go play at a stadium and people can watch, like them hit the part threes from various decks. All right, I can kind of see that. This is so, so so stupid like so dumb on every level and like i have a 13 year old who was 11 and 12 and he actually kind of liked holy moly and i'll admit the first season of holy moly i was like all right this is this is intriguing like not intriguing entertaining like weird wacky like putt putt on steroids you can get behind this just seems so stupid and so dumb because it's hitting into screens and you're right like they can take the spin numbers off or they can goose the the numbers like all these things can be made to look so stupid and more importantly what are they going to do because like we've had simulators at our club the short game is abhorrent on simulators like how are they putting how are they doing like this whole thing just reeks of like two weeks of interest and then crickets. So I, I, I'm, I hear what you're saying. And I think that's a likelihood that, that is like one possibility that it just stinks. And we, we watch for a few weeks and it's like, ah, oh, this thing stinks. I think the stadium part is more so that they're going to have a giant putting green, probably with like the right synthetic surfaces. You could argue it's like, a big advertisement for folks with high net worth and they're going to want to put these in their backyards and in their 
in their you know garages and spare bedrooms to a degree but i think it's going to be two teams hitting into simulators and then wherever they end up on the greens they're going to like put their balls there and then pot you know with you know who knows maybe they're going to have that thing where it tilts and moves around and they can they can you know hit putts with like that exact break up to 20 feet or something like that maybe they're going to have a giant green in the middle and they're going to like hit out of bunkers or hit out of deep rough or whatever it may be. So I think it could be kind of interesting in that regard. And I do think that when you look at this list of investors, what it also is, is a bunch of obviously golf interested people, the Steph Curry's of the world and, and others, they're going to show up. And so it's going to be, you know, Rory captaining a team, Tiger captaining a team. They've got a couple guys in their team and Steph Curry comes in and we all laugh about it and we all tweet about it. And it's, it's interesting I think this is going to be more like dancing with the stars or, you know, one of those type of things where people will watch because it's America and we love to watch TV. And if it's after Monday night football, like what else are you going to do on Monday night? If this is on, like, I think people will watch. If, if it's, if, I'm sorry. If it's after Monday night football, after Monday night football is 12 PM or 12 AM. Like I'm done at, 1045 I don't mean after like time-wise I just mean like after the season wraps up in early February we turn on the the Monday night golf league uh, no, and you no, know no, February no, through no, wherever no, we got like 15 no, weeks of Monday night golf no no <laughs> this thing is dead on arrival like I am sorry like I will old tweets exposed use this clip prove me wrong this thing is dead on arrival it's got two weeks of just like the excitement of like, hey, we're doing this and this is cool. But like all they did is they just rolled out a list of like star investors who have nothing to do with golf. Like had I seen Jack Nicholas Enterprises or whatever his investment arm is, I'd be like, hmm, interesting. Had I seen like Dick Ebersol, hmm, interesting, maybe. But, but like this is this is just hype. One hundred, like this, literally is the parallel, direct parallel to Norman's hype machine. Like it is, it is parallel. It's not intersecting. It is not going to direction. It is parallel to the hype machine. And this thing, mark my words, like I, I will make some weird bet that you can like throw me in the river if it's cold. This is down arrival. All right, I'm I'm, I'm I'm sort of halfway in on it. You are very very out on it. All right, Billy, you, you give us your your measure. Yeah, point I, I I'm neither here nor there on the on the golf piece of it. I don't know. It could it could work. It could be hokey. It could be awful. It could be good. I I mean I I, I don't I don't really know. I do think the hype thing, George, you're exactly right. Um, you know the release of this like all these investors just kind of screams of hype right it, it, you know it, there there's no way that they have met with that many individual athletes and gotten them all to invest unless they just asked for a dollar from all of them and they you know each sent them one buck you know just to say they're in to get hype or whatever but what it tells me is that there's some you know venture fund out there that all these athletes are just kind of dumped money into and somebody's managing that and, and, you know, there's three or four of these funds out there in the world for these, you know, high net worth, you know, mega millionaire athletes, you know, a la Steph Curry, et cetera, who you guys mentioned. And, and you know, they kind of just invest in each other's things. 
but I'll bet if you called half of the athletes they 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 listed in the in as investors, they'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Because I mean, maybe somebody on their team gave them the information or whatever. But my point is, is that they've just thrown mon money in a VC firm and, and the VC firm is, is, is running this, you know, stuff down with, you know, into these investments and they kind of keep them in the, in the athlete family or whatever to all kind of boost each other around. So that just screams of hype to me of, of, of announcing all those athletes that are, that are involved and feels likely disingenuous right and like i haven't done the paper chase to see how many of these guys are represented by the same firms like the same agencies but i have a hunch to your very point that these are a lot of similar agency guys that the money is when you sign onto that agency they're like hey we have a venture group or whatever it is and like we just get to use your name and they could all be in, like, Jay-Z owned the Nets for 0.00006%, but he owned the Nets. And, like, that's what these guys are in for because they, this thing just seems so contrived and so silly and goofy because one of the things is, like, okay, cool, they're going to do this for what? Like, there's been no money announced. There's been no anything announced. Like, this thing just seems so goofy and dumb well it's interesting you mentioned the money because that's my other kind of angle on this is that this is to me a for-profit arm now of the of like pga sanctioned golf and so what that to me screams is it is another way to take the top players that are going to get paid out this expanded pip money and it's another way to give them like some additional money on top of that it's a way to say hey not only are we able to pay you out of our non-profit pga tour status but we also have these additional tomorrow things that you're going to be able to participate in. And, and that is super lucrative and requires only one Monday evening of your time for us to give you lots more money. There's no question. That's a piece of it, Brian. I mean, that, that's definitely, you know, kind of still came out of that, you know, Wilmington, Delaware, all 22 meeting. Like this was right on the heels of that being announced by Jay Monahan and, and Rory and Tiger and, you, you know, you can go to the website and, you know, there's pages that have the PGA tour logo, you know, front and center, you know, this is, this is definitely being run as a, as a joint venture almost with the PGA tour between Tiger and Rory and the PGA tour to, to keep, you know, another revenue stream for top players. Right. And so now the question becomes like, what is that money? What does it look like? Is it just an appearance fee to show up and hit and giggle? Is there real money they're going to compete for that that makes it compelling in any way that they care? Um, or are we just going to see, you know, kind of exhibition golf, maybe we might call it, or or should we call it just appearance fees paid by the PGA Tour and they're going to have to then play the tournament that week after the Monday outing that they did Billy That's, appearance wait, fees by the PGA appearance tour, fees as you know are are highly illegal no one could I, ever yeah I do know this I'm 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 one of the guys who has maybe actually accessed the tour manual whoever had a tour membership and like knows his way around it a little bit um probably not surprising to you Brian but yeah you're right I forgot tour appearance fees not a thing not allowed to happen it's against the regulations so was was Bubba just hopped up on too much ice cream that day when he gave the interview or 
No, no, Bubba, Bubba's Bubba was, uh, you know, exactly right. And I stand by what I said also is that appearance fees are not allowed on the PGA Tour. But if you wanted to pay me $100,000 to go to dinner on Tuesday night, I can take that. And and I don't have to, you don't have to be playing in the tournament that week. But if you just, you don't you just wanted to, be, to play. I imagine if you weren't committed to the tournament, you wouldn't be invited to dinner Tuesday night. Just my thought. Like if if you weren't in Hartford, let's say at the Travelers Championship, you probably wouldn't go to dinner in Hartford, or nor be invited to it. Yeah, this is one of those ones for me where everybody kind of clutches their pearls around, you know, no appearance fees. And when people got appearance fees, a la Tiger, I think in the last 10, 15 years, people would always be like, oh, he's he's going to go play Dubai and collect you know three million dollars or whatever it's going to be, and they would sort of pearl clutch at that and say, we don't do that on our tour. And I always squint a little bit because I know that these guys do activations on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday if they're in town. And they're not doing that for free. They're doing that because their sponsor or maybe the presenting sponsor of the tournament needed that golfer at that hey, tournament. Hey, Brian, can you, can you help the, the listeners? We, we, we all, most golf nerds know that sometimes your glutes don't activate. Like that's one type of activation. And you're, you're using activation as though like you come alive on Monday and Tuesday. So would you mind just giving some clarification as to like what that might be? Yeah. I mean, like Billy said, these are these events that happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, perhaps even during tournament weeks. I, I, when I was at Microsoft participated in activations, these are, you know, as a sponsor, we host a dinner, we will host customers, potential partners, right? And part of doing that is you go out and pay a firm that ends up paying players and they show up to your event and they take pictures and they maybe sign an autograph or they, you know, tweet something, whatever it may be, right? You're, you're paying them to show up and and therefore it helps you generate business or whatever, whatever you do. Where I think this gets super gray would be if it's an, an activation, an event, a dinner, like Billy said, that is by the presenting sponsor, because there it's hard for me to, to see that as not an appearance fee. Like it just seems like. Yeah, you're going to get 50 or 100,000 or whatever your number is to, to play the event. Wait, 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 wait. So I feel like, I mean, for so many years, Tiger was sponsored by Buick. He had the Buick bag. I have to assume he was driving his kids to school in a Buick, or maybe Elon was before the Troubles. And are you telling me that he only played Tory every single year because there was a Buick dinner at that tournament? No, I'm actually going to tell you that Buick only sponsored that tournament because Tiger won it every other year and they were attached to him. So that's that's what I'm actually going to tell you. I think Tiger would have played Tory Pines, no matter what, um, be, but but I would say so. So it's nuanced, guys. Like I mean, like you get you get deep into the into the PGA Tour um, infrastructure here, and and there are actually like contracts with title sponsors that the tour has that says, yeah, okay, you're going to pay. It's called eight million bucks for RBC Heritage. But you're also going to spend $2 million on players. And that's in contracts, right? So that could be with, you know, you know, before 
you know, every Canadian player had RBC on their on their sleeve for a long time. You know, Hadwin, Connors, uh, Hughes, like these guys have always all had RBC. You know, uh, the guys who come to mind who, who used to have it, Graham McDowell and uh, Dustin Johnson. You know, no longer on the PGA Tour, but Brand Snedeker has had it for a long time. So, so these things actually got rolled in a little bit to some of the tour contracts to, and that was a way the tour helped players, you know, is, is, is got sponsors to spend money on players um, in, in that way. Right. Now, Brian, I'm totally with you when you start talking about a title sponsor paying somebody to do something during the tournament week, it, it, it becomes very much disingenuous, but not against the rules. So it's the gray area of appearance fees, um, you know, and that just that just is 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 what it is. Um, I mean, it just it's kind of the you know gray area of of the regulations. Interesting note on Tiger playing around the world for appearance fees, right? Anytime he was paid an appearance fee, he never finished out of the top ten. Go back and look at it. I have no problem with appearance fees. I think it's a hundred percent in the sponsor's interest to be able to do that. Like to make sure you get talent. Like if you're, if you're spending money, you want to make sure you have eyes on your event. And it's like, I have, it's always been this weird thing when I heard like, well, there's no appearance, appearance fees. Like why? Because it's in, if I'm going to spend, if I'm a company, I'm spending X million dollars on this event. I want to ensure I'm getting all the eyeballs on this event so that my name gets said however many times justifies the millions. And it's it's always struck me as weird that the tour took this like, oh gosh, no appearance fees, no appearance fees, tax. And I will say this again, my area of law is not on like nonprofit tax law. Would appearance fees jeopardize their tax status so i don't know but like it just seemed to me as like very weird that this couldn't happen because it absolutely should happen and it definitely does not make me clutch my pearls that it has happened or if it's happened under different names yeah i think it's got to have something to do with the tax stuff it's got to have something to do with the nonprofit status it's you know it also has to do with you know the the tour being a membership organization for all members not just for the top players or or, or whatever um but you, you know this type of thing's been happening forever and you, you know it's not coincidence that all the rbc guys play hilton head and canada Right. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that all the Zurich guys play New Orleans. Not a coincidence. Right. It, it technically is not allowed to be written into their contract. But I assume if you don't show up, you don't get renewed. Right. It's not rocket science. Really? Not how that goes. That's fascinating. So like, if I'm sponsored, like say I'm sponsored by Workday, it cannot be in my Workday contract. Like if I have Workday on my shirt, Workday hat. Like it cannot be in my contract. Like you must play a tournament, right? Because then it becomes an appearance fee, right? Because then it becomes you're contracted to 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 play in this tournament, right? And it, and it probably comes to the independent contractor phase of things, right? And who do you work for, and and the nonprofit status, and all that kind of stuff. That's wild, because I I would imagine 
And again, it's like I, you're not making that contract with the tour. You're making that contract with the workday to be your sponsor. Like, hey, I will show up to your things. Yeah, no, and, and, I, and it, I think it, it, it gets very nuanced, I think, right? Because it's not their thing. It's the PGA Tour's thing that Workday is oh. paying for. Right. And so I think, so it, it, I think I think it's just, you know, hey, you're the lawyer. Go figure it out. Yeah, I was going to say, and I think this is one of those things where it just couldn't be written in the contract just because that's the way the PGA Tour was structured. But I think I think at the time, Buick sponsored at least three, maybe even four events on the PGA Tour schedule at the time of, you know, kind of late 90s, early 2000s with Tiger Woods. And he showed up to every single Buick event. This has actually come up as of late because AT&T did not get any of these elevated uh, event status for for next year. There's one guy on tour, top player that happens to have AT&T in his bag named Jordan Spieth. And Jordan's looking at it like, hey, I've got these events that used to be tier two events, call it. And now they've been relegated to tier three events. And what am I supposed to do when, you know, I'm a top player. I'm now required to play everything else. And then I've got sort of a contractual relationship to play these other few events as well. Like, where does that leave him and where does that leave his sponsor? Sounds like AT&T has an opening to buy the cliques. That would be interesting. But hey, this is a, what's amazing about this is we could go on, uh, keep going on. This just shows you that in every week of golf, there's, you know, this is a relatively quiet week of golf, but we found a lot of stuff to talk about, not, not inside the ropes, all the uh, rumors, speculation, interviews, lawsuits, whatever it may be. So you know, what's next? We've had continued rumors of uh, new players who will remain nameless for now. We don't want to spread any more uh, any more of those rumors or speculation. Those, these new players that may join Live for the 23 season, I think that's probably the next kind of big news that we should be listening for. Uh, but for that, I will bid you guys a good day. And for the rest of you, you can follow us on Twitter at Living It Up Pod. See you guys later. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.